So Elijah is sent by the Lord from the mountain. Our New Testament text today comes from Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. I invite you to follow along and hear the word of the Lord. Jesus went up to the mountain and called to him those whom he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, to be with him and to be sent out to proclaim the message and to have authority to cast out demons. So he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, and Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Cananean and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning we're looking at the designation of the twelve. All those who had been following him, Jesus selected these twelve men to be his inner circle as he pursued the campaign to proclaim the kingdom of God come near. And though a look at the lives of those he chose would be interesting and make a great study for a small group, I want to spend our time this morning looking at Jesus' call itself. Our focus this morning is going to be on verses 13 through 15. We're going to look at a couple of different things to see how Jesus' call to those first apostles relates to us today. First thing we have to note is that Jesus was inviting the twelve to spend time with him. Mark's fairly succinct in his narrative here. He appointed 12. The Greek word Mark used for appointed, it has the notion of selecting a team to do work together with the one who's picking. It meant that these 12 would be spending a great deal of time with Jesus. They were called to travel, to share meals, to listen to engage, to laugh, to cry, to dispute, to challenge, to grow as they're with Jesus. I want you to remember the travel and share meals because I'm going to circle back to that a little bit later. But in short, these 12 were invited into a love relationship with Jesus. Now, guys probably wouldn't say it that way. They wouldn't have described it that way. But it is accurate, right? Think about what a love relationship involves. Time, devotion, listening, engagement, laughter, disputes, challenges, growing together with someone. Well, in the first part of his ministry, Jesus had been proclaiming the kingdom of God having come near. He had been doing deeds of great power. But now, he's beginning a new phase by naming these guys to partner with him and to be his team going forward. Now, of course, if Jesus wanted to train them and equip them and lead them, 
they had to be with him, right? So can you imagine what it must have felt like to be in the crowd and hear Jesus call your name? Can you imagine him looking into the crowd and and saying, come on, come on, you're coming with me. I remember when the girls were young, we used to go the day or two before school started, and we'd go to the school administration, and we'd look at the window where all the classes were posted, and we'd look to see who was going to be their teacher for the next year, and that person was going to have a major impact on molding and shaping our girls for the next nine months. Well, for the 12, this was an incredible opportunity. Jesus was calling them to go on tour. I mean, think about how much time they were going to spend with him. I mean, what a blessing. It must have been thrilling, right? Spending time close with Jesus, it'd be awesome, right? Well, most people, (laughs) most people, if you ask, plan to spend eternity in heaven. Many, however, seem to think that they're going to be in heaven on their own terms. That is, without really having to pay attention to God and without having to know Jesus particularly well, if at all. Their idea of heaven is a never-ending golf course. I've seen a number of them play, and I think they got the wrong brochure. But they want to be with family and friends. They, they want to be with the ones with whom they get along and no work and just kick back and relax. Notably absent from their description of heaven is Jesus. It's almost like there's this old Wild West attitude towards Jesus. You know, there's no room in heaven for the both of us. People want the miracles just not the miracle maker. Does that make any sense to you? I mean, it's a head-scratcher for me. Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God, and it was present in him personally. Living into eternity meant and means living into a deeper and more profound understanding and love relationship with Jesus. It means spending time with him. It means learning about him. It means watching to see what he does. It means listening for his voice. It means sharing meals, often with others he has called. It simply means being with Jesus. Now, we can do all those things now. Yes, in mirror dimly and then face to face. But we can do them now. In Acts 2, after the day of Pentecost, the report of the early church was they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They were devoted to it, willingly, joyfully. How is it then that we've made faith an obligation? How is it that we've made it a burden? The promise of the kingdom is the invitation to spend time with Jesus. 
It's the invitation we've been given to share with others too. I mean, we get to invite other people to be in a personal relationship with the one who invites us to the eternal party. If you want to do a quick check on how your spiritual life is going, just let me ask you this question. Do you treat Jesus the same way you treat your best friend? How often do you check in with him? How much time do you spend with him? Jesus was inviting the disciples, inviting these 12 to spend time. Second thing to note is that he calls us personally. The list of the 12 includes the names of each one. Some don't appear anywhere else in Mark's gospel. But even so, here, Jesus appointed each one of them personally. He didn't issue a general appeal. All right, who wants to go with me? Who's there? Right? There's no sign-up sheet. He didn't solicit resumes. He knew their names. He knew their hearts. Jesus even knew which one would betray him. And he called Judas personally to join him nonetheless. By the way, just a quick note to not overread or overthink a specific passage. Jesus didn't dismiss the rest of those who had gathered as if they were unimportant. Verse 12 makes it clear that they were important to Jesus. He called to him those whom he wanted, and they came to him. And it was out of the larger group that he appointed the 12. Mark's point here is to show how Jesus was in charge. Jesus took action. He chose. He appointed. He called them, and he sent them by name. And the same is true today. I mean, it's difficult to comprehend how this could be. I mean, he knows your name, and he knows my name. And he knows you more than in a, you know, you are, no, don't tell me. Um, You are, okay, remind me again. He knows you better than that. Unlike me, he doesn't need you to wear name tags. He knows you by name. He knows your heart. He knows your life. He knows your struggle. And he calls you to know him by name. He calls you to know his heart. He calls you to know his life. He calls you to know his salvation personally. Take a moment to be amazed by that. I mean, how awesome is it that God knows your name and he knows you better than you know yourself. Now let me flip it around. How well do you know him? How intimately do you know him beyond his name? And do you call on his name? Friends, in our culture, cursing seems like the only socially acceptable time to say the name of Jesus. I mean, if you really want to talk about him, you're going to offend someone. I mean, there was a story this week about the ACLU filing suit against a judge in Texas who gave a Bible to the defendant she had just sentenced. 
for many Christians, even saying the name of Jesus can be too personal. feels embarrassing or frightening or intimidating. So here this morning, I want us to practice together. I want to practice with you. Together, I want us all to say the name of Jesus. Will you do it with me? Say it with me. Jesus. He calls you by name. We need to get used to calling him by name, too. So, he invites us to spend time. He calls us personally. And then, he calls us to be willing to be sent out by him. Almost seems paradoxical, right? If he's calling us to spend time with him, why would he send us out from him? Why would he send us away? But experience would tell us just how true this is. When we go out in the name of Jesus, we find that we spend more time with him. As we look at our text, we see that there are two things for which the 12 will be sent. First, they're going to be sent out to proclaim the gospel. Second, they're going to have authority to cast out unclean spirits. First seems simple enough. The second freaks us out, right? Sharing the gospel seems simple until you actually try to do it. And then we think, well, everybody already knows about church and Jesus, so we don't really have to talk about it, right? We can just be loving and let our witness tell the story. I mean, many know the, the quote attributed to Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Anybody ever hear that? Some of you heard that? Yeah. Well, the flaw in that quote is that Jesus did send his disciples, including you and me, in order that we would proclaim the gospel using words. And by the way, one of the reasons why we're called to be together in worship in his name is so that we have the opportunity to grow together in our ability to share the good news it's so one of the reasons why we recite the Apostles' Creed. It both demonstrates our connection to the witness of believers of all time and space, and it provides some basic training in the tenets of our faith. It's an I believe statement. I believe. It's why we share the testimonies with one another about what God is doing in our midst. Angels among us. Right? It's hard to get that kind of encouragement and training if we live in isolation. And while we're on the subject of encouraging and training and proclaiming the good news, let me just stop for a moment and say that we're intentionally doing this in what we're teaching and what we're preaching. We are intentionally working to equip each and every one of us to be an ambassador for Christ in this community. The church is not an academic institution where members come to assess the relative truth of goodness and propositions. We're gathering to proclaim the truth of the one we know, that is Jesus Christ. Now, about being sent out there to cast out unclean spirits. Too many of you have seen The Exorcist. All right? Too many of you have an aversion to pea soup, right? 
But without diminishing the awful reality of demonic possession, the point here is that the authority to cast out unclean spirits comes from Jesus, with whom we are spending time even as we're sent. It's called prayer. We are to be constantly in prayer, praying for ourselves and interceding on behalf of others. And for some, an unclean spirit is one that's depressing them. For others, an unclean spirit is one that causes confusion. For some, bitterness. For others, gossip or temptation. And the list goes on. Delivering people from unclean spirits, delivering them from oppression, is a kingdom of God power that comes only from Jesus. It's not something we do on our own. And that power comes in prayer. And we pray that God deliver. Prayer is a powerful and remarkable gift that God has given to us. Prayer often opens our eyes to see how God is blessing us and also blessing others in our midst. So as we gather together and we share with one another our struggles and our walks, it's a blessing for all of us to be able to pray for and with one another. So being sent means having a closer walk with Jesus. When we go away, we draw closer. It's amazing, right? Well, finally, Jesus calls for us to live with him and for him tangibly. Jesus' call on our lives is total. We're to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Discipleship isn't an idea. Neither is it an ideal. It is a step-by-step, moment-by-moment walk. It's a very physical, a very tangible choice. In Colossians, Paul would write it this way, Whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, for the twelve, being called meant much more than just hanging out with Jesus at the local synagogue on the Sabbath. I mean, they didn't get t-shirts or uniforms, and they didn't get textbooks or bumper stickers, but they did give up their jobs. They did walk away from their careers. They did leave their families. And we know Peter had a mother-in-law, right? They literally walked to Jesus and away from other things. And this is where I want to get back just for a moment, to the idea of traveling and sharing meals with Jesus. These events took place in the real world. And what I mean by that is that someone was supporting Jesus' campaign for the kingdom of God. In fact, many were. Real people were offering up their real resources so that Jesus and the disciples could go on this tour that they were beginning. I mean, campaigns take resources. Campaigns require people to sacrifice for what they believe. Believers gave money. They gave food. They provided shelter. We find out later that Judas of Iscariot held the common purse, which means he was the group's treasurer. 
which means that there was some organization among them by which the bills were paid. So as we enter into our stewardship season, I want you to be prayerful about your part in supporting the campaign for the kingdom here. Because we too are called to step out in faith to support what God is doing. And we need to step out literally, physically, spiritually, economically, emotionally, and intentionally. God's like that. I mean, God wants us to literally follow him. I mean, Elijah had to leave the cave. Go, return your, your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Fearing for his life, frustrated with God's people, having fled to the mountaintop, Elijah was then sent back to proclaim the message. Physically. It's a physical thing. What we do with our time, what we do with our bodies, what we do with the resources God has given us, all of that comes under the lordship of Jesus Christ. But it's not a one-way relationship. What we do with our bodies comes under the lordship of Jesus Christ because of what he did with his. He gave us everything, including his body. Jesus gathered his disciples around the table. He told them he was going to be broken, physically. He told them that his blood was going to be shed, literally. So as we approach this table, we approach the table that Jesus set. We receive this bread, we receive this cup, we receive the physical and spiritual refreshment that Jesus provides. Do this in remembrance of me, he says, and we will. But Jesus' Jesus' lordship is real. Jesus' lordship is tangible. Jesus' lordship, he's lord over the sanctuary. He's Lord of this campus. He's Lord in your car and in your home. He's Lord of where you work and where you play. So when Jesus went to the mountaintop, he went to call the twelve. Ultimately, he went to call them to this table. He called them to be with them. He called them by name. He called them because he would be sending them out, knowing full well that they would be offering their lives even as he had given his. Same is true today. He calls all of us to this table. He calls us to be with him. He calls us each by name. He calls us because he will be sending us out, knowing full well that we will be offering our lives even as he's given us his life. Amen. I do want to encourage you to spend time in the Family Life Center. Youth are prepared to serve you and to love you. And so let's come and enjoy the fellowship that God has given us and the power of the Spirit in the name of Christ. Now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest, remain, abide with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.